Have you noticed anything creepy about the twins, apart from the fact that they're twins? Just because they're twins doesn't automatically make them creepy. It does a little bit. When I was your age, television was called books. Welcome once again to the Book Exchange Podcast, episode 52 this time around. I'm John, one of your co-host and partner in crime and twin on the line, Jude. Say hello, Jude. Hi, guys. There you go. And and we're glad to be back. Uh, you know, I was getting ready for recording this show. We look back at our at our archive, and I think both Jude and I were pretty surprised to see that Dude, it's nearly been almost a month since the last time we recorded our last episode. And folks, if you're new to the show, that's not our typical MO. We try to come up with a new episode uh, on a cadence of once every two weeks. So um, a biweekly cadence. But, uh, you know, it's summer. We've got eight kids between us. We're both busy family guys. And, you know, stuff gets complicated over the summer. What can we say, really? Right. Yeah. It gets, gets a little hard over the summer, but we, you know, we're bringing it back on track and we'll try to keep it going. That's it. So we're back with the show. It is episode 52. And uh, this show is going to be something a little bit different than what we, what we typically do in that, um, you know, a typical show will discuss books that we've already read. Well, not for this episode. Uh, this episode looks forward. We're going to look at the rest of the year, 2022, and talk about some of our personal most anticipated most anticipated titles that are supposed to come out this year talk about why we're looking forward to these books you know who's writing them um you know what our experience may be with those writers or not and so it's an episode where we look forward and as i i think i said this in in the description that i wrote up last for the last episode looking forward to this episode you know if we do our job right hopefully um listeners will get some you know, recommendations for the rest of the year, maybe some books that they hadn't heard of, but will now be on their radar. So I think this is going to be a fun discussion. Um, you know, I know looking at my list, you know, it's going to be, it's quite a diverse crop and that's kind of the way we roll here. So um, that's the show. Uh, pretty simple setup. Jude, I don't know if, I don't know if you want to make any comments about it. Otherwise we'll just keep rolling along. Well, I'm, you I don't have a lot of comments, but um, my list is pretty diverse as well. So I feel pretty confident that even though we've been, uh, you know, we're rusty from not doing a podcast for a few weeks, we'll probably get right back into a similar mode than we always do. Again, for those who are n- new, you know, we're, we're all, we're, we swerve all over the road on this show. So I pre- feel pretty confident we're going to hit a lot of different ty- titles and keep, keep the diversity that the show's kind of know for known for if it is known and the other thing that i was just going to say john by way of comment is when this was this was john's idea for those keeping score at home uh to do this uh sort of forward looking episode and i i liked the idea immediately when i heard it because and i hadn't thought of it myself but because it really fits in this is what i wanted to say it really fits in when we think of this podcast as a continuation of the discussion that we've been having for our whole lives right you know and 
and this episode really fits in well with that because no, we haven't done an episode quite like this in the, you know, two plus years we've been doing the show. We do regularly talk about titles that are coming down the road and we share links and when we hear big book news and stuff like that. So it's like a very, you know, we haven't done it, but it's really organic to the way, you know, the, the mechanisms behind the show. So it makes a lot of sense. So good idea. Well, yeah, well, thanks. And I think uh, the other thing is, I mentioned this to you sort of off air, but it, it, you know, who knows, it may give us a chance to talk about some writers that haven't come up on the show at all yet over the course of these two plus years we've been doing it. So lots we're trying to accomplish here on episode 52. We're glad you're with us. And, um, you know, I think I'm just, without further ado, what we always do at the beginning, at the outset of the show is talk about what we've been reading lately. So I think I'll just, you know, kick the ball over to you. Why don't you tell us about what you've been reading? Okay, I will. First, I want to just mention, to just remind people to check out the ways to contact us, which is on every summary of each episode, wherever you find the podcast, you'll see our email address and you'll see the, the anchor website that we have. So if you want to contact us and, uh, and, and really quickly, again, before I talk about the book I'm reading, I, I haven't done this in a long time, John, so I do want to remind listeners and thank listeners from around the world because we are now up to, uh, I believe it's 29 countries around the world where the show is being listened to, which is pretty amazing, you know, considering our humble, <laughs> humble, uh, uh, station here, or at least I can speak for myself, but we are, we're up to almost 30 countries around the world. Thank you everybody for listening. And, the, and if anyone is interested, the latest country that was added to the list is Croatia. So if anybody is listening in Croatia, we welcome you to the book exchange podcast. I just wanted to say that John, because I hadn't, uh, updated listeners on that in a while. So, yeah, yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't even really uh, realize that, but that's really cool. Cool. So it's nice to be kind of reaching different corners of the world with our little uh, slice of nerdery here. Right. It is just kind of a cool thought to think that somebody in another country outside of the United States might be checking out the show. And if and if that applies to you, we welcome you here. This is a safe space for you if you like books and literature, and even if you don't. But to get to to get to what you asked me, John, yeah, I'll t I can talk quickly about the book that I'm reading. So I'm, a, I'm on a, uh, you know, sometimes you pick up the, uh, you, maybe you're working out or at the gym or something, you pick up the Spotify or whatever, and you play something from, from when you were a kid. You know, you, you play like a retro track or something like that. I'm kind of doing that right now um, for a lot, and you know this, but for a long time, um, I've been interested in tracking down one of these books from a writer that, my, our dad liked when we were, uh, gosh, just like in, in our 20s, I guess, or in our like early 20s. My dad got into this big phase uh, where he was a big fan of a mystery writer named Tony Hillerman, who um, wrote mystery novels, like really fast ones, you know, like sort of uh, short and sweet, very competently built, very, um, I don't want to say tame, but, you know, clean. You know, they were not... Uh, you know, egregious in any way with violence. I mean, you know, they had murders and stuff and drug killings and stuff like that. But um, he, he wrote a pretty clean book and he kept his he kept his nose clean while doing it. But anyway, my dad was a big fan of Tony Hillerman's mysteries, which are well known to mystery fans for being set in the Navajo country of the American Southwest. And he created these two uh, protagonists, his most famous protagonists. There were some more that were added at the end of his career, but they were two tribal policemen. 
One was a salty veteran, kind of an old guy on the way to retirement named Joe Leaphorn. And then he had kind of a protege, like an underling, who kind of was Tony Hillerman's main sleuth throughout the majority of, of his books, a tribal policeman in the Navajo Nation by the name of Jim Chi. Anyway, my dad got at least me and maybe you, John, into those mysteries, talking about when I was like 23, 24. Ever since yeah. then, I've been, I always remembered that and I enjoyed those books a lot. You know, they were good for what they were. You know, and I thought that Tony Hillerman was a very, like I said, a very competent and skilled mystery writer. They were fairly formulaic, but they were just, they always wove in an element of the Navajo Nation and sometimes uh, Native American spirituality or um, traditional practices. That was a really unique thing that Hillerman did. So long story short, I saw one very recently at a book sale. It was like two bucks. I picked it up. It was, it's called The Sinister Pig is an interesting title and it's yeah. one of the one of his last i think it's one of his last mystery novels he was still alive i think he believe i believe he died maybe as long as 10 years ago but this is from the early 2000s it's called the sinister pig and it's one of hillerman's mystery novels set in the navajo nation and i i just started reading it but the the books they're really fun books and they're page turners I, I i swear i'll be done with this in like a day and a half you know so so that's what I'm reading. I'm enjoying it a lot. It makes me think of my dad a lot and sort of my former self. And I don't know, John, as I send the ball over to you, and I, I want to hear about what you're reading, but what do you remember about Tony Hillerman's mysteries? Did you read many of those? I, I can't remember. Yeah, I, did. I, I think I read like three or four um, after, okay. you know, after dad got into them. And he kind of, uh, you know, I think we've been aware of them because he was a, he was a, like a best-selling author probably through the 80s and 90s you know if you walked into any you know now we're really going to be dating ourselves if you walked into any like b dalton or walden books or, right. <laughs> or like Barnes the noble or any of the any of the brick and mortar stores you would always see his books there True. Um, i yeah. think they were pretty popular but you're right what i what i remember is you know, they are very, you know, he, he is a respected writer in that, yes, you know, just like Agatha Christie or something, had sort of a formula to the way their books are constructed, but they're very well constructed, like like solid furniture. And I think you've already mentioned one of the elements of his books that's, that really, you know, makes them distinctive, and that is the Native, Native American, specifically Navajo. Um, and there may have been some other tribes featured in there as well, but... Um, Yes, you know culture and lore and mythology and all of that. So that's that's that that's fascinating to read about. The other thing is these two characters, especially the one I remember is Leaphorn, you know, who's the older, kind of more experienced veteran, you know, cop or detective or whatever he was. Um, but they they were just really good characters, complex, well written characters that you kind of got to know across multiple books, and you know, like any like you know, Poirot or any, or Sherlock Holmes, you know, when you have the wherewithal to not only write convincing mysteries, but create a compelling, you know, investigator that, that can really take you a long way. So I think, you know, those are just two elements that made his books distinctive. And of course he's sort of having a moment here. I don't know if any, any of this was prompted by, you know, recent events, but it just so happens that they just started, um, I, don't, I don't even remember which channel, but they started streaming a series called Dark Winds, which is the title of one of Tony Hillerman's you know, novels, but it's about the, the Leaphorn character. 
and it's you know currently running and i think it's you know getting good notices and stuff like that so that's that's kind of neat to see i don't know if that you know was an inspiration or not for you but um you know this discussion just makes me want to see if i can track that down even more because i've heard good things about it yeah i'd like to check that out i actually didn't even know that i had seen ads for it and i, I it reminded me of hillerman i didn't realize it was based on hillerman's work um, but it makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it certainly looked like what you would picture a guy like Joe Lee Porn to be. But yeah, no, I didn't even know that. But I'd, I'd like to check that out. Uh, but but Hill, yeah, Hillerman was a very a very skilled mystery writer, and it's fun. It's fun to read one of his books again. They're 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 entertaining. They're a good time. Yeah, and if you, uh, I can't remember how much of the Fargo series that you watch, but there's a, a a very memorable Native American character in the second season of Fargo. Yeah. Uh, played by a Native American actor whose name, unfortunately, I can't remember, but he plays Lee Porn. So there's lots of reasons to check that out. But anyway, that, that that's a really, that's a cool, you know, throwback pick. I, I think that, uh, that must be a lot of fun to be digging into that. Um, yeah, I'll just keep rolling. So what I'm reading is, is, is by far and away the best known book by this particular writer um, who hails from New Zealand. Uh, I'm reading a novel from 1985. It, it, it was a small novel from New Zealand that written by a woman that no one really knew. It's kind of a, like a sort of a success story, though. Kind of uh, was published independently, then started to get noticed, and it eventually went all the way to winning the Booker Prize in the UK, which is a major literary award there. And I'm talking about a novel called The Bone People that's written by, I'm probably going to murder her name, but Terry. Home or H-U-L-M-E. It's either home or, or whom. Or, I'm not really exactly sure how to say that. But if anybody would know that name, it would be because of this novel, The Bone People. It's, as I said, far and away her most popular book. She has written other books of stories and poems. Um, I'm not sure if she wrote another novel or not. She's passed away now. But, but this novel kind of put her on the literary map. And I know she's part, part Maori. Um, I think I'm saying that right. You know, part uh, native of the, of the island of New Zealand. And um, you have, you've heard of this one, right, Jude? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, one of the best known novels from New Zealand in the last, you know, 50 years. Yeah, I have. It comes up on like lists of, you know, Classic historical novels or like modern modern historical novels, uh, you you hear about it. it has it has a reputation, you know? But I have not read it. Yeah, it does, and it's a and it's a thick novel, almost five hundred and fifty pages. Um, I'm about, I would say, two thirds of the way through it. And I said this to you earlier. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, given you, you can't help but form some kind of expectation from a book, whether from the title or from the cover or whatever, but I sort of expect with the title of the bone people, I always, and this, this novel has been sitting on my shelf for years. So I've always been curious about it. And of course, you know, um, I'm fascinated with the whole country and culture of New Zealand. Um, I've seen a lot of films that are set down there. It's just a really interesting history there. Um, and of course it was popularized at least to some degree by the Lord of the Rings films. But anyway, um, I sort of expected this to be a much broader story of, you know, uh, again, with that title and this, you know, probably reveals my ignorance. You know, you might you might expect it to be about, you know, Maori culture or native culture and, 
you know, uh, maybe the clash between, you know, colonizers uh, in New Zealand. But in actuality, it's a more much it's a much more of an intimate story about a particular woman who is part European and part Maori. And I apologize to anybody in New Zealand or, or Australia if I'm if I'm mangling that pronunciation. I should have done my homework, but I'm going to go with it. Um, and she's kind of a recluse. She's an artist. She lives alone in a very peculiar tower that she designed herself, and it's very memorably described in, in the in the first part of the novel. And one day, she's just sort of she comes back into her, you know. <laughs> domicile from 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 a walk down to the beach and there's sort of a feral looking child who has broken into her house and is just kind of hanging out there and she quickly realizes the child is mute and you know the story unfolds where she gets to know this child and then the, and then gets to know that the child is being raised uh, by a single man who's a little bit older than her who's also from the maori culture and you come to learn that this is not his biological child, but it's a child that almost, you know, basically literally washed up on the shore there. And there was a, a disaster shipwreck and it's presumed that his parents were on the boat. But uh, no, no. Well, no, the, I'm sorry. The, the parents were bodies were found, but the child was orphaned. And this this man ended up taking the child on. And so it and it's this this sort of strange sort of you know, I don't know how else to put it, kind of a love triangle starts to slowly develop between these three characters as um, this very reclusive sort of prickly woman gets to know both the child and the father. And you can, there's a very kind of slow boiling sort of love story developing between the man and the woman. Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting. It's also slow and it's a much more intimate story than I thought it would be. So, um, I'm wrestling with that a little bit. I don't, and again, maybe that's just because of what my expectations were versus what the book is. But it's beautifully written. There's quite a bit in it um, that has to do with the native culture there, and you know, quite a bit of Maori language that just sort of peppered into the book. Fortunately, there's a glossary at the end of the book, so you can kind of look up terms, but they don't bother to put in you know explanations or footnotes or anything like that. So I'm kind of doing a lot of, you know, flipping back and forth, trying to figure out what certain terms mean, but, but it also kind of immerses you into a, a different culture. So I, I would say, you know, in summary, it's, it's a really beautifully written and a, and a fascinating book. It's also a little bit, it's not fast moving. You know, I kind of wonder, you know, I'm well over, you know, 350 pages. I sort of wonder where the story is going, but I think, you know, you have to have a little patience with something like this. Obviously, it's going to be building up to some kind of, you know, uh, to climax. So, yeah, I'm really glad to be reading it. It certainly, you know, it presents a culture and kind of a, a atmosphere that is very much foreign to what I know. So that part, that's definitely enjoyable. Um, and we'll just have to see how the whole thing turns out. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of people around the world who really revere this book and it's always interesting to pick up a book from a totally different culture and try to figure out, you know, what it is, why it may resonate, you know, beyond that culture with the, with the wider world. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, like we've been saying, like the book does have a greater reputation, you know, and, a, and it's a very John Floyd level selection, you know, to go, you know, 
all the way around the other side of the world and immerse yourself in that far into a culture through through a novel or a nonfiction book. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I don't know the book, like I said, but to hear you speak about it. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is that it's not it's not. How do I want to say this? It's not titled like an intimate story. You know, the book's called The Bone People. So you right. get you get this feeling that you're going to hear about a whole subset. You know, it's not called like Lisa or something or whatever, <laughs> or whatever the woman's name is, you know. So, you know, I don't know if that's a matter of just, you know, the way, you know, the, the people who are not the author got into the mix, you know, like the way the book was marketed or what have you. Or if it's something that's, you know, going to come up and, you know, will broaden in some way in the, the, the remainder of the book. It's going to be interesting to find that out. But, it, you know, you don't get the impression when you hear about it and you hear about its reputation that it's this small scale triangle between three people on like a remote place. You don't get I mean, New Zealand is remote, at least from where we're sitting, but you don't get that feeling. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, uh, the book began with a series of very short kind of, well, it was a prologue and it had very kind of like dreamlike imagery in it. And it kind of throws you into these sort of mysterious folk tale type stories that you don't really know who or who's involved or what's going on. And I imagine towards the end of the book, it may reconnect to that, but you, you get the sense that it's, you know, describing something about the culture from which this story springs, you know? So it, it, we'll have to see how it all ties together, but it's certainly, there's certainly an interesting atmosphere. That's not the right word really, but uh, you know, kind of this, like a vibe that you get from reading the book that is, that is, you know, really unique. So anyway, I've been enjoying reading it. Um, that's what I've been reading. And now you know what we've both been reading. So unless you have any further comment, we'll take a quick break and we'll get, into you know our look forward at the rest of 2022 and, and books we're looking forward to checking out all right let's go eat a donut All right, Jude, so we're back, and uh, as you know, this preparation for this episode, you know, um, involved a little bit of research, you know, which is we usually don't do a whole hell of a lot of homework, you know, <laughs> when, we're, when we're planning these episodes, let's face it. But uh, way, John, least... I'm sorry to interrupt you, by the way. I didn't get a donut, so it's time again to fire the intern. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I don't know what this, I don't know what this person's doing, you know, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, we pay them too much money in order to drop the ball on these basic tasks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to have to I didn't get mine either. So, and you know, this is, <laughs> so, 
it's already starting off on a sour note. But but anyway, um, we had to at the very least you know go do, do a little uh, internet you know Google University kind of stuff and and uh, you know uh, look up some publishers, look up some writers, see what see what books are coming down the pike for the rest of 2022. And of course, there's a full slate of offerings coming. And um, I just thought it'd be fun to kind of like pick and choose and you know. Uh, Talk about, you know, titles that are forthcoming that we're both looking forward to and in a way kind of reveal, you know, not only writers that we, you know, follow, but kind of, you know, our own particular tastes or whatever. Um, so that's I'm not sure there any, we need any more particular setup. Is there anything else you want to say about the topic before we begin? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I, I do. I want to say something sort of introductory, at least from my side, when we begin. But no, I think I think you set it up fine. I mean, it's a pretty self-explanatory. We're just looking at books that we've heard about and are, are excited about for the, the rest of the year. Well, given that we're beginning now, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, do you want me to go into sort of my first titles? Well, uh, you can. I thought you said you had you want wrapped into the whole thing, but if you want to flow that right into your first title you can do that too okay well i didn't mean to step on you no the only thing i wanted to say is like you know um i don't even know if it's really necessary but it's just kind of interesting this year so like with respect to forthcoming titles like i mentioned at the beginning like we're kind of i think both of us maybe me a little more at least on the fiction side than you but not by much i think both of us kind of keep our eye on things and whatever and you know like i said earlier when we, when we hear about mm -hmm. some big books coming down the pike you know later in the year or in the next year we we usually like kind of stop the presses and blast that information to one another especially if it's the writers that we really are into and all i was going to say i have a pretty good crop of books to discuss but for me it's interesting because there are th three books that are still coming this year ish i you know that one of them i think is going to be pushed to 2023 not going to bring them up yet, John, because they're kind of like my closing acts in the music festival, so to speak. Like, you know, yeah. I, I was I was going to get to them last, but but they're easily like I'm just saying there's three books that that are easily for me, like by far the most anticipated books that are coming out, say, in the next six months to 10 months or whatever it is. Two of them happen to be about the same person. We'll get to that. And then there's another one that I'm looking forward to more than. I mean, there's a big gap for me between those three and like the rest of the books. I just thought that was interesting, but we'll get to those a little bit later. Well, yeah. And I, I just from having talked to, with you a little bit to, in the planning of this episode, you know, I, I, I know I know of at least a couple of the books that you're referring to, which we're going to get to real quick. But I I thought I would just and I'm calling an audible here, but I'm going to I'm going to prompt you to discuss a forthcoming book that's coming out. Um, only because you recently read something by the same author. Okay. So okay. Uh, there's a writer that's come up on this show a couple of times, but neither one of us had read until recently. He happens to be the most recent recipient of the Nobel prize. His name is Ab Abdul Razak Gurna and I'm trying to remember where, which, which country he's from now. Do you remember? Is it Tanzania? Yeah, I believe it's Tanzania. Yep. Okay, so an African writer, I, I just I happen to know just from talking to Jude that that he recently read one of his novels for the first time, and I think it's safe to say that 
his new book, which is coming later in the year, it was written already, but being translated into English and being released later on this year is called Afterlives. So that I'm pretty sure that's on both of our list of anticipated books as far as this year goes. But I thought I would just, you know, let you kind of talk a, just a little bit because I know you just read one of his novels. And, um, you know, I don't mean to take over what you were going to discuss, but I'm I'm given your reaction to having read one of his novels recently. I know you're probably looking forward to uh, the release of Afterlives. Yeah, yeah, this is a good place for me to start. I did have it on my list, and I, I was pretty sure you had it on yours. Um, and, yeah, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, Gurna was a writer that, and, and we, we talked about him when he won the Nobel Prize last fall. Talked about him a little bit. I don't remember the number of the episode, but we were, the gist of it was we were excited that there was a kind of a new writer to check out that neither of us had ever heard of in any <laughs> literary discussion a guy and that's happened a few times at the nobel prize and that's one of the things we like about that i would venture to say at least for me i think the committee kind of gets right you know when they do this every year so sometimes they find somebody who really seems deserving of the prize is just way under the radar and that's the case here at least at least in this country as far as i know i think he had a certain following in the uk because i've, I've learned a little bit about him um while I was reading um, Paradise and um, since then, and I know that he's kind of Tanzanian, but by way of London, uh, you know, so he's like a very, I, I think you mentioned when we talked about him last, like he's very fluent English speaker. And as it turns out, he went to England, sort of emigrated to England as a very young man. And I think did a lot of his adult living, if not all of it in England, but he had this whole childhood, of course, in Tanzania. And, um, yeah, I read. So you gave me his his novel for during the last exchange round of uh, book giving that we do uh, for our November birthday and also at Christmas. Um, and I worked it in earlier this year. I was very impressed with the book. You know, I won't go into it at length, but it was like a coming of age story about a boy growing up in that country, like Eastern. So we're talking about East Coast of Africa. And it was basically like, uh, you know, pre pre-colonialization um, by Europeans or just just this book Paradise was set kind of right at the twilight of the period where they were sort of living under their own tribal rules in the country and the Europeans were just kind of moving in you know Germans in particular and uh, sort of taking over and sort of colonizing places um, English to some extent but but there was there were Germans in the book and the upshot of, of Paradise is that there's a young boy and it, it's telling his story like from his point of view, but he basically is sold into ownership, the slavery basically by other people in Africa because his father had debts. And this is something that ha I guess happened in, the, in, in this period of history in Eastern Africa. You could be sold like, you know, if your dad owed money, you could be your, your his kids could be sold off and be used essentially as slaves or just workforce with uh, other families that had more power, et cetera. And that's essentially what's the circumstances in which paradise unfolds. And so it's kind of this whole long journey where this boy bounces between a couple other families and ends up taking these different uh, long journeys with traders, kind of like almost like pirates, but not on the sea. 
like traders who make their money by traveling to the interior of Africa and like peddling goods and stuff, black market stuff and stuff like that. And he kind of grows up under those circumstances. Um, but Afterlives, it's interesting because Afterlives is not, I heard him describing Afterlives, which is, he's had many books in between, but Afterlives is related to Paradise, although he, uh, if I understood him correctly, he sort of insisted it wasn't a direct sequel, but he, he what he does in Afterlives is he takes a character who's kind of already been through all of that, and a very similar to the pro same protagonist who's in Paradise. Paradise being the novel that kind of set Gurna on the, on the map. And it opens with him returning to Eastern Africa now under like colonization. Okay. And then he, and then he goes through a whole story and the, the novel is set in uh, Eastern Africa again, but like under uh, German rule. And it sort of continues on to a, a similar story of a character who's gone through similar circumstances, but not the exact same character. Uh, he said something to the effect of like he didn't feel like he needed to write a direct sequel, but he was interested in sort of where the story continued for somebody who had been sold and then was returning to their homeland. So and, you know, the as far as his writing, it's just very lyrical writing. It's very beautiful. It has a lot of commentary on many different traditions, different religions, Muslim religion, Christian religion, some Hindu. There was an Indian character in Paradise and there's. Very fascinating book. One of my favorite books so far this year. So I'm, as far as afterlives go, just by way of of conclusion. Now, I mean, now I know that he's like really a sort of a Nobel worthy kind of writer, and uh, gives a lot of interesting perspectives on many of the different things going on in the nation of Africa. You know, at least on the eastern side of Africa that I really I had no information about. So I, I'm going to keep my eyes open for that. I'd really like to read afterlives. So I'll leave it there. Yeah, you know, and this is, I think, you know, part of what we're trying to do is, is just to offer, you know, humbly offer maybe some recommendations if people want to stretch their reading to other subjects or other places. And, you know, as you mentioned, we're both pretty new to this writer, too, but it just sounds like, um, you know, after winning the Nobel Prize and your reaction to his book, Paradise, which is, you know, the book that sort of broke through for him. And how this novel seems to sort of pick up on some of those threads, but it's many years later. And for the, uh, uh, well, I don't know about the action in the book, but it's many years later for Gurna, you know, returning to this kind of material. Uh, it just sounds like, you know, this is a really interesting writer on the world stage that's worth checking out. So, uh, yeah, Ab Abdul Razak Gurna is, is a writer that we're both looking forward to you know, diving into more of his work as, as we move along here. Um, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to mention a title that that's on my list. That's very different. And I know that, well, I feel like I, I, I don't mean to like take over, you know, where you're going with your list, but I know there's, there's a pair of titles that we both want to talk about. Um, and maybe we could do that together, but I, you know, I'm not sure if you want to get into that next or you have a different time that you want to approach that. Um, do you want to dive into those after I describe this one, or do you want to pick those up later? Uh, I'll just follow your lead. I did say like I was saving my big ones for the end, but I was sort of half joking. I don't really care. I, I'll just follow your lead. Why don't you talk about the book that you want to bring up and then <clears throat> I'll, I'll go off that. Okay. So the first title, you know, I, 
I had heard about this already. And, and a couple of these books that I'm going to mention, I think they may already be out. They're either coming out in, in the rest of the year or maybe have just been released. This one, I think, has, has just been released. It's a nonfiction book. It's called The World As We Knew It, Dispatches from a Changing Climate. Um, had you heard about this book at all, other than me telling you I was going to talk about it? No, I don't think so. And I'm not I'm even trying to remember who wrote it. So uh, <laughs> go ahead. Well, what it is is sort of an anthology, as the subtitle, Dispatches from a Changing Climate, kind of implies. And I think this is a really neat idea. What the, It has two editors, Amy Brady and Taja Eason, who I'm not familiar with. Um, and I'm just going to borrow from the book description here because often they're helpful. It says 19 literary leading literary writers from around the globe offer timely, haunting first person reflections on how climate change has altered their lives. And then it lists some of the writers that contribute to it. Um, one of which is Kim Stanley Robinson, who's come up a couple times on this show and uh, different writers all over the globe. But I think what's really cool about this is that I think it's a really interesting way to approach the you know topic, the, the huge topic of climate change and what's happening to the planet by collecting, you know, well-known or, or accomplished writers and having them share personal perspectives kind of on the, on the ground accounts of how specific accounts of how the changes to the climate may be affecting them, you know, in their lives or what they've noticed from, from where they live. So the description gives a few examples that I'll just share in the opening essay, national book award finalist, Lydia Millett, mourns the end of the saguaro cacti in her Arizona backyard due to drought. Later, Omar El Akkad contemplates how the rise of temperatures in the Middle East is destroying its home and the wellspring of his art. Gabrielle Bellot reflects on how a bizarre lionfish invasion, and you talked a couple in our Fate of the Planet episode about, uh, we both talked about invasive species, and how they can sometimes change an ecosystem. Right. She reflects on how a bizarre lionfish invasion devastated the coral reef near her, near her home in the Caribbean, a precursor to even stranger events to come. Traveling through Nebraska, Therese Svoboda witnesses cougars running across highways and showing up in kindergartens. So <laughs> the idea of having different writers contribute essays and talk about what's going on sort of, you know, quote unquote, in their their proverbial neck of the woods and how they're seeing the manifestations of how climate change is, is affecting the planet. In other words, like the description said, making them first person accounts, I think is a really cool idea. Kind of gives different perspectives that are maybe a little more specific and concrete on what's actually happening to the physical environment all over the world. And I just think it sounds like a really interesting and eye-opening collection of essays from a number of different voices uh, about a phenomenon that affects everybody. So I thought that sounded really interesting. And that would be my first choice for a book I'm looking forward to reading in the second half of 2022. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I'll be honest. I, I sort of vaguely remember you bringing that up when we were talking about this, but I don't think I really, either I wasn't listening or I don't think I really totally understood uh, exactly what was in that book definitely would have fit in really well if it had come out before our I think it was episode 48 or 49 
um, called Fate of the Planet, as you mentioned. Um, but I agree that is a really interesting idea, and it and it and it'll offer you know kind of perspectives on the whole, like you said, the really broad topic and the you know urgent topic of climate change from many different angles. You know, and then you, I'm, I imagine it would give you a sense of sort of the encroaching or spreading nature of the problem, you know, and the difficulty in tackling the problem, you know, when you sort of gain all these perspectives from different writers. And uh, yet, I mean, that's a book that's right in your wheelhouse, but I certainly would read that also. And it'd be it'd probably be really fascinating. And you said it, you said you think it just came out. I think it came out in June. Yeah. So I think okay. it's like yeah. brand new. Okay. Can you mention the title again? It's called The World As We Knew It. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for it. Sometimes you see, like, news stories or headlines come across your feed or whatever. And it's like, um, you know, uh, two coyotes, you know, found on a main street in Los Angeles or something like that. Or, like, you know, like the book description mentioned, like, if, if you might come across a story that says, you know, a cougar wanders into a elementary school playground. Whenever I see something like that, I'm always sort of weirdly fascinated by it. But you don't always make the logical connection. And I hate to say it, you know, this is something that I don't hate to say it, but, um, you know, T.C. Boyle kind of explored this a long time ago in his novel, The Tortilla Curtain, when there was a character yeah. in, you know, in California and he was kind of wrestling with coyotes who were, rest who were getting closer and closer to his yard. So. My point is, when you hear a story like that, it's always kind of fascinating, but you don't necessarily connect the dots, you know, why are they there? Why are we finding them? You know, it, this kind of thing is happening in Florida, too, you know, animals that are just shouldn't be there. And it's because, you know, their natural habitats are being destroyed. So anyway, we can go on and on about that. Refer to our previous episode a few, a few episodes back, The Fate of the Planet, if you want more of this stuff. But we got to keep moving. Um I, I think that one sounds really interesting, though. So forget what I said before, man. I I, I overrule myself. Just it, it's your turn. So you, you go ahead and, and talk about whatever you want to talk about, and I'll follow suit. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, you know, there's lots of interesting books all up and down the list. Um, but I guess what I'll bring up now, there's two books, um, and this is uh, similar, I believe. I'm, I'm not totally sure. So there's two books coming out by the same writer that – I'm anticipating a lot, and I think you are too, at least to some degree. We can talk about them. Um, and it just so happens that one of them is fiction and one of them is nonfiction. I think the fiction, which is a novel, just came out, if I'm not mistaken, or it's just about to come out. And then there's a, uh, a, a nonfiction, like kind of a memoir coming out. And I think in, a, in three of the titles I'm going to bring up today, John, I believe they sort of spill over into 2023. So I'm sorry about that to uh, sort of bend the rules on the concept a little bit. Um, but at least two of them, or, or at least one of them was meant to be published this year. And then I guess it got delayed a little bit. And, you know, in the case of the, of the writer I'm going to bring up now, we just happened to know that he had one book coming out and then another one was kind of following it. And, I, and I'm talking about the, the guy who's come up a few times on the podcast, even though he works primarily well, at least as far as we knew, he works primarily in a different form. I'm talking about the great German filmmaker by the name of Werner Herzog. Oh, yeah. Two new books. One of them, I think, has just come out, which is a novel. 
which I'll bring up in a second. Then he has a memoir coming out after that, which, of course, you know, it's probably going to be even crazier than the novel. But um, yeah, and it's funny because Werner Herzog, you know, if you're not familiar with his movies, we talked about him. You know, he's kind of a fearless, very intrepid fictional and documentary filmmaker who has been literally traveled the world and made very adventurous films on a wide, broad variety of subjects. Probably his most famous one is called Grizzly Man, the documentary about a guy who lived with bears and ended up getting killed by them. But he has all kinds of amazing movies. Um, You know, we don't have time to get into a discussion of his career necessarily. But yet he, in a very Werner Herzog fashion, you know, in a couple of the recent interviews around the publication of his novel, he insists that his primary his primary art is really prose writing, you know, and uh, yeah. even though he's most famous for his long career making films, although he does have many books that were published across, you know, several decades, um, <clears throat> but he's definitely better known as a filmmaker. Anyway, he published a novel this year called The Twilight World, which is honestly, I, I, I'm not as I'm not as jonesing to read this book as I am of the nonfiction book, but just because it's Werner Herzog though. And it's such a weird story, you know? So I, I think you're familiar with the story, but the twilight world is written about, I forget the guy's name. It's written. It's a novel about a, a real person in Japan who um, was on an Island during the second world war and uh, was trying to, I'm not exactly sure how, but was like trying to, you know, involved in trying to defend the Island or, um, you know, fight for the Japanese cause in some way. And essentially, the, the Second World War ended, but he didn't know that it ended because he was stuck on this island. So he, made, he he maintained his own defense of the island and his own sort of fantasy war. And he, he sort of kept on waging that war for something like five or six years after yeah, the did. end of World War II. Yeah, he, and, didn't get the, he didn't get the memo. Yeah, he did not get the memo that the war was over. And so he, he was leading, it was like a very Herzogian character, like a recluse, you know, that, you know, very um, eclectic individual who was kind of fighting this one man war against the allies from this island in Japan. And of course, Werner Herzog traveled there and met him and became really close friends with him, you know, <laughs> years ago. And has this relationship with the guy who's, who's dead now. And anyway, Werner Herzog wrote a novel about that guy called the twilight world i have no idea john what that book would be like but i would simply read it out of the strangeness of that story and the you know the the power and the you know um inimitability of the voice of Werner herzog in any form and then before before i let you comment on that because you and i have talked about Werner herzog for years oh yeah his work and his interviews and stuff, you know, never miss a Werner Herzog interview, friends. You're not going to understand what he's saying, but it's, it's riveting in every circumstance. (laughs) And then then he's also apparently Rittner is finishing up a memoir about his filmmaking career. I really wish I could remember the title that was dropped in a recent article in the New York times, but I can't, but it was some kind of crazy title that somehow worked in there fighting against God and losing you know, um, but I can't remember the title of the book, but it's a memoir of his filmmaking career. And we're talking about a guy, I brought this up in a past episode, who who has, you know, all these own, his own sort of 
semi-ridiculous and uh, strange rules for making films, one of which is that you should, the only thing you need to, to make a film is to have a pair of bolt cutters, you know, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> you know, and uh, Werner Herzog is just a fascinating character. So any book written by him, and I have read one of his books called Conquest of the Useless, which has come up on the podcast before. You can tell just by that title that it's just, you know, it's its own unique ride. And, um, and you know, I can't go on too much more about them, but the, the Twilight world I would just read out of general interest because I have no idea what kind of fiction writer other than his movies, Werner Herzog is, and then a memoir of him making films around the world and his unique style would, to me, that is not to be missed. So I'll turn it over to you. I don't know what you want to say about those two Werner Herzog books that are coming out. Well, I, 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 I'm not sure if you mentioned this or not, but it's, if you didn't, it's worth, it's worth saying that I don't think he's, he's ever written a novel before, has he? Isn't this his first novel? I think it is his first novel. He's written, you know, films, like fictional films, but I don't think he has written a novel, at least not a published one. Yeah, and it's just, you know, he's such an eccentric and, you know, unique individual and artist you know, in and of himself, that it's really kind of fascinating that, you know, the first novel he's writing as a German filmmaker and writer uh, is is about a Japanese man and is going to be written, I, uh, presumably, from the point of view of a Japanese person. Yeah. So, you know, that's just another layer of weirdness on the whole thing. You know, he's such a fascinating guy that like you said, you, you you really don't know what you're going to get in that novel, but if you are at all a fan of his movies or just even his sensibilities, it's like, which we both are, that's what makes it kind of a can't miss for us. And, you know, if you, again, if you've seen any of his movies, you know, he's got such a fascinating film career and such an in, inimitable voice, as you said, that, you know, him writing about, about that career and kind of where it's taken him, both, you know, geographically and sort of like, you know, uh, figuratively, you know, it's got to be just fascinating to read. So, yeah, I mean, The Twilight World was definitely forgotten about the memoir that's coming, but you're right. You know, The Twilight World may be difficult to access if you don't really fully understand, you know, the character or the circumstances he's in. But, you know, if you have sort of a, of a you know, figurative chance to sit at a table with Werner Hertz his adventures making films all over the globe, you take it, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you can't turn that down. So, you know, yeah, I'm not. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I wanted, I wanted to just mention, I don't know who might be listening to the podcast who has not heard of or seen the movies of Werner Herzog, but if you have never seen one of his documentaries or heard an interview with him or anything like that, when we talk about his voice, um, it certainly we mean his authorial or um, artistic voice, but I, it's got to be mentioned. Uh, also, his literally his voice is something to hear and, and worth listening to. Nobody that I've ever encountered in film or literature or art in general expresses himself in the same way as Werner Herzog, who's like 76 or 77, by the way, and still still going strong. So I just thought I'd mention that to anybody who did not know. That's right. Well, um, all right. Well, that's that might be a good place to take a quick break, and then we'll come back. There's plenty of other titles that we want to talk about. I may mention a few quick hits, 
uh, when we come back that I won't say a lot about, but I just want to mention and then, uh, you know, get into my next selection. But let's take a quick break here. This is some music. That sounds good to me. I can. Let's roll. All right. As I said, I had a couple quick hits here. And the only reason I'm just going to do these quickly is that they're either writers or books even that have come up in previous episodes, but they are forthcoming um, this year in, in the fall of this year. So I thought I would mention them. One is we did an entire episode on Annie Prue and she has a nonfiction. By the way, did you notice I got the name right that time? Annie Prue. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, I I don't I never get it right. So, well, more importantly, uh, yeah, I hope her I hope her uh, team of lawyers notice that. Yeah, she has. Off. Yeah, she has. Uh, yeah, can you guys back down finally, please? <laughs> yeah. We don't have a huge budget here. Um, she it was mentioned in that episode. It may have come up another time. She has a nonfiction book coming out called Fen Bog and Swamp. And I think uh, it, it, from all accounts, it's a book that she's spent quite a bit of time researching and writing. And, you know, uh, many of her books at least touch on environmental themes, especially her huge novel, Barkskins. Here she sort of takes them on directly. You know, I'm not, by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an extensive reader on, on um, environmental issues. It sort of sounds like I am from what I've talked about here and maybe recent episodes. But mm-hmm. I did. Say, I, I want to point out. I did say when we uh, talked about resolutions for this year, I did say I was going to. I would like to read more about the natural world, and obviously, in doing that, you just can't avoid, you know, this topic. It's obviously it's a, obviously a immense topic. Um, you know, when you're reading anything about the natural world, so um, I, given how much we appreciate, you know. Annie Prue's writing and her mind. I think it's got to be interesting to, you know, personally, anyway, speaking for myself, uh, it has to be interesting to, to, to hear her address kind of head on some of the challenges. And she's talking about a specific type of, of um, ecosystem, but it would be interesting to see just how, you know, how, how much she gets into it and, and, you know, how she handles that material. So I think that's, that's of interest to me. Well, I just, then, want to congr- I just want to congratulate you, John, on sticking to one of your reading goals and uh, go to the head of the class, you know, and receive your star. Well, thanks. You know, I'll end up I'll end up uh, wearing the dunce cap in the corner, you know, before the, <laughs> before the year is out. But at least I got there once. Um, <laughs> and we talked about one uh, past Nobel Prize winner. I'm going to bring up another. The great, great uh, American singer songwriter, Mr. Bob Dylan, has a major new book. Coming out. I don't know. Was this on your list? Yeah, yeah. And actually, it feeds into a, like sort of a category for me. Okay. Well, then we'll I'll save it for that. But um, he has a major new book coming out this year that that Jude's going to talk a little bit more about later, called "The Philosophy of Modern Song," which, but kind of like Werner Herzog, that damn thing could be anything. But <laughs> yeah. it's guaranteed, guaranteed to be fascinating. So I thought I thought I'd bring that one up. Yeah, and, you, and you, you don't have to worry about anything on my list. Keep going. Well, it's interesting, speaking of, you know, 
your list or at least books you've read. The next book that's on my list, which is anticipated for me, is written by somebody who I have not read before, but you have. And he's a, he's a writer named Patrick Radden Keefe. And you spoke on this podcast, I don't remember which episode it was, about his book called Say Nothing, which was about, um, I think, in Northern Ireland. I'm kind of getting that wrong. But you remember the book that I'm talking about. Yeah, no, it did have to do with that and, like, the troubles and uh, people's lives around those, those times. You, I know you gave it a glowing review. That was a book that really, you know, um, resonated with a lot of people. Sounds like a fascinating book. And actually, all of his books sound really interesting, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, look at his back catalog. But anyway, this is a new collection. It's sort of a collection. It's called Rogues. True stories of grifters, killers, rebels, and crooks. And apparently Patrick Radden Keefe writes with great regularity for the New Yorker magazine. I'm not a regular re- reader of the New Yorker. I know of it. Nonfiction pieces about crime. And criminals. And this is sort of a collection of some of his pieces from the New Yorker. Um, Keefe says in his preface, they reflect on some of my abiding preoccupations Crime and corruption, secrets and lies, the permeable membrane separating licit and illicit worlds, the bonds of family, and the power of denial. So I don't know too much about it, and I don't know much too much about Radden Keefe, but this sounds like a really, really sort of riveting collection. You know, there's a reason that so many of us are drawn to, you know, books, mysteries, crime stories, TV series about criminals. And it, it just sounds like this is really a fascinating collection, all all about, you know, actual criminals and crooks. So I just heard about this one and thought it sounded really, really interesting. I don't know if it was on your list or I'm sure that you knew that it was coming, but that's got to be a pretty good book. No, well, I no, it was not on my list. And I, I think I had sort of a vague intimation that it was coming. Um, but I know this, I mean, you know, Patrick Radden Keefe wrote that book about the Northern Ireland and the Troubles, and there had been cajillions of books written about that subject and events in that region of the world. Yet he found a way to tell kind of a really riveting story that had this long sort of mysterious murder and thread of murder and a mystery going through it in a relatively spare space that I thought was a very riveting book. So take from that what you will. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I, he's a very interesting writer. And, uh, you know, based on that experience, I think there's probably a lot to offer in that book, uh, Rogues, that will be coming out. So it's a yeah, pretty it's, safe bet there. Yeah, I figured uh, if for anyone out there listening who may be a, a true crime fan, this could be one to look out for. Yeah. Well, it's is your my, turn. Oh, is this my cue? Okay. Well, all right. So, uh, just looking at my list here for the rest of the episode, John. I'm gonna—I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I have two—I have two. Me being the fiction guy around here, which is not really true because you read plenty of fiction. There are two novels coming out by major fiction writers, major novelists in the world, that I wanted to bring up now quickly. And then, uh, for me, I hope you don't mind, but like to the so the the rest away from me. There's a category that I want to get into, which is books about music or by musicians that I'll bring up sort of the next go around. Then there's two novels coming out that 
I know we're on both of our lists that I think we'll probably be discussing towards the end. So is it okay if I, those are my last three hits. Can I bring up those first two novels I mentioned now, and then we'll keep going. Why not? Go ahead. All right. So I don't mean to, I don't mean to like, you know, storyboard as we go here, but um, you know, anyway, so, uh, so I'm a big fan of novels and fiction, as you know, and there, there are two um, very renowned writers, very well-known writers who are coming out with new books. I, I think I'm right about this. One of them is going to be my breaking of the rules because I think it's actually coming out in 2023. But the first one I believe is coming out this fall. And it's a, it's by a name. I have not, I have never read this person. It's by a name that we brought up once or twice. And, uh, Someday we'll do this. We have this uh, plan. We've we've brought this up to to do some episodes in the future that that will be called uh, or you know around the theme of undiscovered writers. So writers that neither one of us have read, but probably should have by this point in our lives. But that we haven't done that yet. That's going to take a little preparation because we have to read some of the works by these people, you know. But anyway, yeah. one of those writers that we've talked about for that type of episode is a woman named Barbara Kingsolver. And I happen to hear about, I'm really excited about this, John. You're going to, and you're going to hear why in a minute. She has a new novel that's coming out towards the end of this year. I hadn't heard about it before. I just stumbled across it. And uh, tell me if this sounds, if this sounds like something I would gravitate towards. So I've already had her in my radar because I know she's a, a well-known novelist and a very accomplished one. And I plan to get to her work someday either, but her new novel coming out is called, uh, now, there's a, a little alliteration going here, which I'll explain in a second. The novel is called Demon Copperhead. And it is a, I think this is just fascinating. You know, um, I, I think there's a tendency to try to rewrite old stories, sometimes maybe too much in popular culture. You know, this is a retelling of X. But in yeah. this case, and in, in, the, in the case of, at least with the reputation of Barbara Kingsolver, I'm very excited about this book. And I really do want to check it out. Demon Copperhead is a retelling of essentially of the book, David Copperfield. So you see like there's a little oh, yeah. David Copperfield in the title, yet it's set in the United States in the mid 20th century in Appalachia about this guy named Demon Copperhead. That's all I need to hear, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be in on this, but it's supposed to be a, a very kind of epic um, and a sort of reaching for just Dickensian type of, story from again a very accomplished fiction writer about this character who kind of comes of age in this very different setting from where the dickens character would have come of age i love that i'm sold on it i you know i'll leave it there because i don't know much else more about it but when i when i read that title and i heard what it was i was like uh, count me in for that and yeah. then um i'll let you comment in a second but the other novel that's coming out that i heard about is by a very fascinating writer we're both familiar with him. I've read, I think, a few more books than you have. We actually went to see this man speak in person in Philadelphia once. I'm talking about Salman Rushdie from India. And he has a brand new novel coming out next year, which is uh, also supposed to be a sweeping story. The novel's called Victory City. And it's a, as he's done a few times, I think, it's an epic retelling of an of a ancient Indian myth. <laughs> sort of set across many centuries. And I, I don't really know more than that because I'm very ignorant about Indian myths and legends. 
but I know uh, Salman Rushdie's like sort of pedigree and uh, or, or literary pedigree in his work. I've read his two most famous novels, which are Midnight's Children and uh, the Satanic Verses. And I, honestly, I think Salman Rushdie is very difficult. And he's kind of like, you know, he's known to be kind of this like sort of an arrogant guy, like, a, you know, like he sort of knows he's like a leading novelist. But he definitely has the tools and the chops to, to write epic stories, you know, um, often with a lot of magical realism. But he's a writer that requires a lot of effort. And um, his tales are very exotic and unusual. So I'll leave it there with Victory City. But when I heard about that, I was very interested in it and maybe taking on another one of his books. So feel free to comment on either one of those. Well, it's interesting. I, I didn't, you know, I did a bunch of homework for this episode, but I didn't, I wasn't really aware of either one of them <laughs> coming down the pike. So mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty cool to, you know, I'm hearing about these for the first time myself, let alone any listeners. Um, but they both sound really interesting. I agree. You know, Barbara Kingsall or someone I've never read either. And, you know, we've talked at least once about, you know, one or two books of hers that we'd like to check out. You know, that may happen in the future, maybe even on this show in some way. Um, Salman Rushdie, you know, one of the one of the world's most prominent novelists. I've, and I have a couple of his books on my shelf. I've never read them. I've never read him before. I haven't oh, okay. read. Yeah. Wow. I, I think I listened to part of an audio book that was his. It's one of his minor. Well, I don't even remember what it was called, man. Uh, it was one of his books that isn't as well remembered. It wasn't the ground beneath her feet, but it was something like that. You know, not not generally speaking, not known as one of his, you know, greatest books or anything. But Midnight's Children is on my shelf. Um, uh, there may be one or two others from him that are on my shelf, too. Not the Satanic Verses, but, you know, I need to get to him at some point. But I had not heard at all that he had a kind of sweeping new novel coming out. And that's, you know, obviously a pretty big, that's a pretty big event, <laughs> you know. Yeah, in the, yeah, it is. In, in the literary world for sure. Um, well, cool. Uh, I, I know you got a bunch still to, till, still to mention. Can I mention another one that I think I know we both talked about that I think is worth, you know, a short mention? By all means. Well, it's a book. And apparently, I think this is the first book, you know, be, written by this particular writer. It's It's been getting a lot of buzz i i think it may have j literally just come out and it's a collection of stories written by a native american writer named morgan talty who i'd never heard of before and it's a book called night of the living res and i know i know it's on your long list i know it's a book that you've heard about as well for some yeah. reason it's been getting an incredible amount of i mean it, i'm sure it merits it but it's just been getting an incredible amount of kind of you know, buzz. And I think it literally came out like maybe this week. Um, and I know very little about it, but I just know that it's a collection of intertwined stories that take, that have to do with um, people living on, uh, let's see, the, the um, Penobscot, am I saying that right? Uh, Penobscot tribe in the, in, in the main area. Um, it has to do with growing up or living on a, a, a reservation that is for that particular tribe and kind of the lives of the people who live there. 
now, you know, what their lives are like now. And it's just a, it, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I have some interest in Native American, you know, history and culture. We've talked about it before. We talked about Tommy Orange's novel, They're There, There. Um, in one of our previous episodes, he, he actually does a blurb on this book. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of buzz and hype around this book, but it, it really legitimately sounds really, really interesting. You know, you and I did an entire episode on short stories. If you were to say that there's a, you know, a new, a relatively new Native American writer who's written a, a, a collection of interlocked stories taking place on a reservation that, that has garnered, you know, uh, comparisons to something like Dennis Johnson, you know, that's going to get our attention. And um, yeah, so right. that's really all I know, but I'm very, very interested uh, in this book, Night of the Living Res. Um, I, I don't think you know much more about it than I do, but I know, I know it was on sort of on your radar too. Do you have anything you want to say about it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, yeah, no, it's totally on my radar. I saw stuff about you. I don't know how these unknown writers find ways to, you know, catch the zeitgeist or something and make their, you know, book take off to the stratosphere before it even emerges. But the, the, the thing is, I mean, uh, you know, by all accounts, the quality of these stories is, is there to warrant this kind of buzz. And yeah, you know, I've heard about it. I've seen sort of blurbs about it from major story writers, some of those comparisons. And then, but just the idea of, uh, you know, when you think of native Americans, you don't necessarily think of the main region, you know, but, of course, they were ubiquitous across the entire continent before we showed up. You know, ancestors of those people or descendants of those people, pardon me, um, who are still, you know, around, of course, and living their lives today. And just seems like a fascinating uh, batch of stories. And um, the book, yeah, it just seems like the book has real promise. I can't, I can't, I can't wait to check it out. I, I don't know anything about the guy who wrote it, you know, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, Tommy Orange who wrote there, there, um, you know, his blurb says there's so much brutal, raw and beautiful power in these stories. Reading this book, I literally laughed and cried. You know, I, it's just, you know, when you hear a reaction like that from an established novelist and, and this particular person hasn't written anything, you know, it's going to get your attention to some degree. Now, how much of it is just hype and how much of it is, is actual, you know, that depends on the reader. But, you know, sign me up. It certainly sounds like a really interesting collection. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll discuss that in a future episode. Right on. So uh, what else you got? All right. Well, I've got three titles I want to bring up under the category of music. You know, and we can talk about them. You know, it doesn't have to be forever. Um, but all three of these books are highly anticipated for me. And the final one I'm going to talk about is one of the ones I mentioned earlier. That's like far and away one of my most anticipated books um, in the near future. But I'll cover the first two first. The first one is the one you mentioned already called The Philosophy of Modern Song by Bob Dylan. You know, we definitely talked in our episode about books about music. I talked about his his memoir called Chronicles, Volume One, which came out in the early 2000s. And for everybody who's been waiting for Bob Dylan to put out Chronicles Volume 2, you know, you're still waiting. But instead, he turns out this book with the highly ambitious title called The Philosophy of Modern Song. <laughs> and, you know, you can read the description if you want. 
you know, it's on Amazon. I don't know if it's going to help you very much <laughs> in terms of knowing what's going to be in this book, but um, Bob Dylan, you know, is so unique, you know, in, in, the, in the American canon, you know, with his lyrics and the prose writing that he has done, that there's no way to, as you said, there's no way to anticipate where this book will go. Uh, but just by way of the only thing I'll say is if you want to get an idea of how Bob Dylan's voice, literary voice and literal voice sounds around the subject of music, you know, you can go out on YouTube that when he did his Nobel prize uh, lecture, the, 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 the winner of the Nobel prize in literature has to do like a lecture. And of course, Bob Dylan being Bob Dylan, he didn't even show up for the ceremonies. So instead he decided to record an audio lecture for some bizarre reason, you know, written. So he's reciting his lecture over like this lounge lizard playing the piano, you know, like kind of lounge music in the background. It's, it's hilarious. I don't know why he made that choice. You know, just some guys kind of tickling on the ivories in the background, but, and the, and the lectures uh, maybe 14 or 15 minutes long, but he talks about formative musical experiences. And there's a passage in the early going where he talks for, Three or four minutes, you'll remember this, John, about his encounter with Buddy Holly when he was a teenager. He went to see Buddy Holly perform. And his description of what went down when he was standing in the audience and Buddy Holly looked at him from the stage, to me, you know, and what and what Buddy Holly was doing on that stage, to me, that's a feels to me like a preview of what you may get in this book about songwriting by Bob Dylan. Yeah. You have to check it out, but it's so it's you know, it's like mysterious, compelling. You don't know what the hell he's talking about as always, but I guarantee you that this book that he writes about music is going to be worth reading in some way, you know? <laughs> and, no, that's a great, that's a great reference. I had forgotten about that, but you know, it just, he's such a unique individual. There's no way this, that his take on what goes into a modern song and what makes a song worthwhile is got to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, I think that's definitely, for me, that's very highly anticipated. There's another memoir, memoir coming about uh, by a world-famous musician that kind of splits the uprights between John and I, or anybody who wants us to hear us disagree a little bit. I, I would say I'm a significantly bigger fan of this individual than John is at this stage of my life, of our lives. But there's a memoir coming out by the singer Bono, who's the singer for the band U2. It's called Surrender. Um, I don't know much about it. I, I, you know, John has a, you know, I don't want to speak for you, John, but I'm, I'm a bigger U2 fan than John is. Um, I've seen them perform four or five times because my, my wife is a huge, gigantic U2 fan. And um, I think Bono is one of the, the masters of his craft, like as far as being a front man in a rock band, um, seeing him perform, including up close, I got really lucky once and we saw him from the second row in a gigantic venue doing what he does. I think he's a very gifted entertainer. Now he divides a lot of people because he kind of bloviates a little bit. And some people think he's arrogant and, you know, humble to a fault and, you know, all these kind of things. And, you know, people get polarized on the subject of Bonnie, you Bono and you too, but I know this, they're one of the greatest bands I've ever seen perform in a massive setting in a stadium setting. They can handle a stadium and 
I feel like um, a memoir about somebody who has become that famous in the world of rock and roll from very humble beginnings in Ireland and overcoming the loss of his mother when he was a teenager and reaching, you know, the stratosphere of superstardom. I think that would be interesting. And I also think Bono has a gift for storytelling and he has that Irish gift to gab. I'm really looking forward to that book. I don't think you are quite as much, but um, do you want to say anything about Surrender by Bono or do you want, should I go on? Yeah, I, I think um, I, it's sort of, you know, I agree with a lot of what you said about Bono. He's definitely a gifted storyteller. He's a, he's a gifted speaker. He's a, he's a good writer. You know, I think, he, you know, it, everything aligns on paper for that to be an interesting book. But it's also one of these situations where it's like a little bit like a Springsteen on Broadway kind of thing. Like the story's been told numerous times. You know, you, I kind of wonder how much new we're going to get out of a out of a book like that when he's talked about his life so many times in interviews and songs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The other thing is for me personally, it's, you know, he has been one of the greatest rock stars, you know, that in our lifetime, but like a lot of rock stars, I feel like he's sort of like, uh, you know, past, you know, he, he's sort of past what his prime would have been. And he, as he continues to go on, you, you know, you wonder if there's diminishing returns you know, I certainly think there is in terms of their music, you know, how they perform on stage. I don't know. I've actually never seen them. And so, but because I feel that way about their actual music, what they put out lately, you know, you wonder, is this book going to be really, really good? Or is it, you know, should he have written it like 20 years ago? I don't know, you know, but I'm certainly, you know, he's got enough of the storytelling skills and, and certainly an interesting life journey that it could be a really interesting book, interesting read. So. I'm sort of on the fence about that one. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I mean, you and I joke a lot, and you know, I told you that you should have seen them or whatever, blah blah blah. But I think those are all very fair takes. I mean, I, I you know, I I certainly would agree that I think he is kind of past his prime, and and there's uh, the potential that this book won't be what I anticipate, but I hope that it will be. You know, and I'm I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Sure. And then. Yeah. Uh, I could not do this episode, John, without one of the books I'm looking forward to the most out of any anticipated book in my entire life (laughs) is a memoir that's coming out by um, somebody named Getty Lee, who is the singer for Rush, um, who is my favorite band, you know, in my whole life that I've been such a huge fan. I wrote a book about Rush. (laughs) And and Getty Lee is a, a fascinating individual to me. Obviously, I'm, you know, he's one of my great musical heroes. He's been working on a memoir. He, he put out a previous book, kind of more like a coffee table book called uh, Getty Lee's Big Beautiful Book of Bass. I, w- I wasn't all that interested in that, but um, he, I know he's been a huge reader his entire musical career. And he's a very articulate, humble, plain spoken individual in interviews because there's gazillions of interviews of him, you know, um, and he's one of the greatest musicians in rock history, without any question. And since he's the lead singer of my favorite band, I've kind of been there. We've talked for years in this ongoing conversation, John, about, you know, maybe the guys are Neil Peart, the drummer who passed away, was a writer. I was not a big fan of his prose writing, to be completely honest. 
Geddy Lee's a different story. I don't know what kind of prose writer he is, but I anticipate that he'll have re- really interesting stories to tell. And I cannot wait for his memoir to come out. There's no way that I could have done this episode without bringing out, bringing up his memoir. I think it was supposed to come out this year. I think he's still working on it. It has no title. And I, I, I cannot wait. I will, I will get that immediately. So that had to come up. I'm sorry. No, no, I totally agree. I mean, if you're a huge Rush fan like I am too, to get his perspective, you know, the thing about Rush is, as everybody knows, is a Rush fan. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, if you are a Rush fan and you're listening to this podcast, uh, you need to go out and get Jude Joseph Lovell's book about Rush called <laughs> Random Samples. I'm serious. You know, it's like, it's a really oh, interesting, it's a really interesting take on Rush that, uh, you know, it's not your standard sort of like, you know, profile of the band. It kind of looks at some of their more obscure music. And um, anyway, it's just an interesting, that's a really good book. If you're a Rush fan listening to this show and you didn't know about it, you need, you need to go out and check it out on Amazon. But anyway, to get Jetty, you know, if you're, no problem. I, I love that book. And, and I think it's been your best-selling book too, which tells you something also. But um, it it has actually. So there you go. Well, there are millions of Rush fans around the world. But anyway, you know, if you know anything at all about Rush, you know that the voice of Rush really has never, you know, I don't mean musically. I mean, like kind of words really hasn't been Getty Lee. It's been Neil Peart, the drummer. He's always been the lyricist. So you don't other 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 than interviews and documentaries. You don't really get his perspective, and this this book, this memoir that he's going to put out, is going to give you his take on the entire phenomenon that Rush has been over, you know, four plus decades. So, you know, if you're interested in the band at all, this is it's, it seemed to be essential reading. So, I totally agree. Um, well, yeah. I don't know. So, that was your trilogy of music books. I've got a couple other books that I want to mention. I know that there's a pair of books that we need to talk about before this episode is over. So, we'll save that to the end, I think. Right? Right. But I that that's it for me And other than those two books. So, if you have, you know, a number of books you want to bring up, go for it. Yeah, I've got a few others. I've got about three others, and then we'll talk about that pair of books that we've been alluding to. Um, and strangely enough, these are all nonfiction titles. I'm a, I'm a little bit more of a nonfiction guy than you are, although you read plenty of nonfiction too. But, you know, these all jumped out to me looking at books that, that were coming. Um, there's, a, there's a very highly regarded, you know, nonfiction writer and essayist named Jeff Dyer from the UK. I've actually never read any of his books, but I know that they've been very well regarded. Um, I've circled around them before. I know that you know about Jeff Dyer, at least. I don't know if you've ever read him, but, you know, he's one of the, you know, preeminent, you know, uh, essayists coming out of the UK right now. And he he has a book that's co- either it just came out or it's coming. And it has the intriguing title of The Last Days of Roger Federer. Do you know anything about this book at all? Or did you did you uh, just hear about it from me? I don't even remember hearing about it from you. I feel like this is the first time I've ever heard about it. I certainly know Jeff Dyer, so go ahead. Well, I think, first of all, Roger Federer, if you don't know, is one of the greatest tennis players in the world, although he's retired now. 
and he's from the great country of Switzerland, which is, is close to my heart because my wife's family is from Switzerland. So that's one thing. I've always sort of, because of my wife's family, I fully admit I'm on the Swiss bandwagon all the way, but I'll be on it for the rest of my life. It's a beautiful place and it's a wonderful country. And Roger Federer, I can't not be a fan of him. He's, he's you know, sports-wise, he's one of the greatest heroes ever to come out of Switzerland. So, you know, the, the title grabbed my eye, just the last days of Roger Federer. It's kind of like it's that doggy head tilt we talk about. It's like, huh, you know. But the description is what, when I read the description of what this book is about, I thought, well, this, this sounds like it's really, really interesting on a topic that I know we've talked about before in one way or another. So I'm going to read from the description of the book uh, because it's just it just sounds utterly unique. So it's a nonfiction book. I should say it's called The Last Days of Roger Federer and Other Endings. How and when do artists and athletes know that their careers are coming to an end? What if the end comes early in a writer's life? How to keep going even as the ability to do so diminishes? In this ingeniously structured meditation, Jeff Dyer sets his own encounter with late middle age against the last days and last works of writers, painters, musicians, and sports stars who've mattered to him throughout his life. With playful charm and penetrating intelligence, he considers Friedrich Nietzsche's breakdown in Turin, Bob Dylan's reinventions of old songs. So we kind of a little connection there. J.M.W. Turner's proto-abstract paintings of blazing light, Jean Rees's late-life resurgence, and John Coltrane's final works. And so this is this is a book about, you know, how careers, either in art or sports or other endeavors, end. And it kind of, it sounds like it plums that question I know we've talked about many times in many different contexts. You know, when is the right time? We just talked about it. With Bono, when yep. is the right time for an artist to hang it up? You know, when should an artist retire from sports? When you seen in the E Street Band stop touring? You know, when should uh, Bono and the boys call it a day? How did Roger Federer know it was the time to leave? You know, I think that's a really, really interesting topic. And um, this uh, it sounds to me like it's a book of essays uh, about you know, endings and ending a career. And it's also has a bit of a personal bent. It sounds like, because as, as it said, you know, he's a writer who's approaching late middle age and it's like, you know, when should I stop? So I thought that sounded like a really interesting and unique collection of essays and I'm really looking forward to it. So that's, that's one title. I don't know if you want to comment on it at all. Uh, I'll, I'll just really quickly. First of all, Jeff Dyer, prime candidate for the undiscovered type of ep because uh, I've never read him either. Just putting that out there, you know, in broad daylight here. So we can yeah. little production note. And secondly, I would suggest I didn't know about that book. It's for very fascinating. Uh, there's lots of things I could say about that topic that I won't so you can continue. But um oh where was my where did my thought go, John? Um I haven't seen it for a long time. <laughs> oh man, I was just listening to your description of the book and um my my thought has escaped me. Uh that's frustrating. Go ahead and uh, do you give me permission to interrupt as soon as it comes back in about 20 seconds? Of course. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. 
Uh, well, another title that I, I'm really interested in, there's a writer named Ed Yong, Y-O-N-G. And he came out with a book a couple of years ago that was about microbes in the body. I can't, it has an interesting title. I can't remember what it was, but it was, uh, it's kind of one of these popular science books that really kind of raised the number well, of wait, I got it. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Go ahead. Sorry, John. Hold Ed Young, because I'm, I'm interested in this one. All I wanted to say was, and I want to put this out to readers, I'm very sorry for the rudeness. Any description of Jeff Dyer's books, nonfiction books, are fascinating. Go check out any one of them, and you'll see what kind of writer Jeff Dyer is, even though I haven't read him yet. So all I wanted to say, please continue on the Ed Young book. No, I agree with you, but that, but that, that topic in the hands of somebody like, like Jeff Dyer, I mean, to me anyway, that's that's like that's like catnip. But Ed Young wrote a book about microbes and you know describing why they're important. That uh, I know was a really acclaimed book. He's got a brand new book. I think it just came out. He's got a brand new book, and it's about a subject that I've talked about at least once on the show before. That I'm utterly fascinating. I'm utterly fascinated in. The book is called An Immense World, and it's about um, the consciousness and almost like the imaginative life of animals. And that's really all I know about it, but it's just describing, it's called An Immense World. It's describing, and I guess positing that animal understanding, animal consciousness, however you want to phrase it, is a much broader world than we understand and than we may ever understand. But it's a book about that. And that's really all I need to know to be really, really interested in it. Um, apparently, God, there's a lot of, you know, new research. And I just think that sounds utterly fascinating, just sight unseen. So that's another one I'm really looking forward to later this year. And then finally, and then, you know, I'll, I'll kick it back and we can talk about what we want to talk about. But um, there is a book, another book that's getting a ton of buzz. I think, again, I think it may have just come out. But, uh, you know, I, I noticed it because of all the buzz it's getting. And you can when you hear the description, you know, given given the state of our world right now, in some ways it won't be too surprising. Um, but in other ways, it, it seems to describe an aspect of American history that I I've I've never even known about. And it's a nonfiction book by a guy named Caleb Gale, who I've never heard of. It's called We Refuse to Forget. A True Story of Black Creeks, American Identity, and Power. And this one, I'm just going to read the whole description because, you know, I didn't know a damn thing about any of this. And I, I thought, there's no way this book isn't interesting. I don't know. If, have you heard the title? Uh, maybe, but go on. Well, this is a description. A landmark work of untold American history that reshapes our understanding of identity, race, and belonging. And we refuse to forget, Amer award-winning journalist Caleb Gale tells the extraordinary story of the Creek Nation, a native tribe that two centuries ago both owned slaves and accepted Black people as full citizens, two centuries ago. Thanks to the efforts of Creek leaders like Cow Tom, a Black Creek citizen who rose to become chief, a Black Creek chief. The U.S. government recognized Creek citizenship in 1866 for its black members. Yet this equality was shredded in the 1970s when tribal leaders revoked the citizenship of black Creeks 
even those who could trace their history back generations, even to Cow Tom himself. How did this happen? How was the U.S. government involved? And what are Cow Tom's descendants and other Black Creeks doing to regain their citizenship? These are some of the questions that Gail explores in this provocative examination of racial and ethnic identity. By delving into history and interviewing Black Creeks who are fighting to have their citizenship reinstated, he lays bare the racism and greed at the heart of the story. We Refuse to Forget is an eye-opening account that challenges our preconceptions of identity as it shines new light on the long shadows of white supremacy and marginalization that continue to hamper progress for Black Americans. So a ton to unpack in there, and you can certainly see how wh why it may be a buzzy book right now. At the same time, I've never heard of anything that's being described in that description at all. It just seems like a chapter of American history that is almost completely unknown. And that, you know, the intersection of, of Black Americans and Native Americans and, you know, American expansion into the West, it just sounds utterly fascinating to me. So when I read that description, I was, I was pretty riveted. So that is a book that I would definitely uh, read if I had the chance. Yeah, no, I, I think I have seen something about that book, um, but I, I didn't, uh, I don't know if I didn't see the whole description or whatever, but that certainly seems very fascinating. And I, I don't know a, a darn thing about that history at all. You know, no. so that would, that would be very interesting to read that book. And then the Ed Young book, I, I, I have heard of that book. I think it just, I think it did just come out. Um, I was driving around last week and he, and he was a guest with uh, Terry Gross, John, on that show called Fresh Air that we've heard a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't hear the interview. They were sort of introducing that the interview was coming up, but in sort of that introduction, it talked about some of the things that were, that are discussed in that book. Um, and I don't, I don't remember it very well, but uh it includes things like uh, like noises, audio noises that are made by certain species of birds that are impossible for human beings to hear. And in essence, there are like whole conversations going on over our head and around us <laughs> that we don't know are happening because we can't hear them, you know, things like that, you know, so that that it definitely would be a very interesting book to check out also but all, all three of those books are really i would read any one of those three for sure yeah you know the ed young book reminds me of a book i've talked about uh, much earlier and on the podcast which is called the, the hidden life of trees right the guy wrote about what's actually going on between trees and how they communicate and how they you know uh share resources and you know there's a whole uh, you can't possibly look at a at a forest the same way after you've read that book and i think this sounds like some like a similar experience so yeah 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 good point yep so anyway that that i think you we have one more uh set of books to talk about i think i mean obviously there are other titles you know that we could have covered but we can't finish this show without without talking about this pair right um you want me to do it Sure. Why don't you set it up? Okay. Well, uh, there is a um, 
a publishing event happening towards the end of the year that uh, when this dropped earlier in the year, I didn't get the news first. John got it first. And this is an example of what I was talking about. Like, well, we'll hit each other up with book news. I remember you sent me a text with a link to the dropping news because it's a major publishing event in the world. And you were kind of like, are, are you sitting down? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. And uh, so what we're talking about is um, if you go all the way back to the very first episode of this podcast, uh, it was called The Books That Made Us Fiction, where we talked about some of our favorite books that really formed us into that were huge milestone books for us, forming us into the kind of readers we are today, et cetera. And for me, he sent me on sort of in, indivisible with setting me on the path toward trying to write fiction myself. One of the books I brought up was called Blood Meridian, and that was written by a man named Cormac McCarthy. And Cormac McCarthy is the writer who's coming out with two new books later this year. Now, he is one of my all-time favorite writers um, and one of the most powerful and interesting fiction writers that I've ever read in my life. But a news of a new book for me is kind of reclusive. He always has been reclusive. I think he's given like two major interviews in his entire career, which lasted, which started in the sixties, you know, give you right. an impression. And um, he's kind of like hidden in plain sight. Like, you know, people know that he's still alive. He's very old now. He's in his late eighties, but the last novel he published, the last book he published, <laughs> the last novel he published was called, the road that came out in 2006. And so here we are in 2022 and there have been rumors of him publishing a, a big new novel for at least a decade by his devotees kind of around the world. And you and I have talked about it ad nauseum. We were like, you know, I guess this is this book ever coming. It was rumored to be called the passenger. Any big news for this year is that Cormac McCarthy is publishing his new novel called The Passenger and a second novel is being published on the same day, which is a kind of a companion novel to The Passenger. And so and so The Passenger and the, the second novel is called Stella Morris, M-A-R-I-S, like the name of a character. And those two books are coming out later this this uh, I think it's in October. And, uh, I, you know, I cannot wait for anything new by Cormac McCarthy. I mean, we don't have enough time to discuss, you know, like all the nuances of his books, but he's a fascinating, um, probing and totally unique American fiction voice. And just, I'll try to really quickly, cause I did do the Google university summaries of the two books. And then I'll, I'll let you talk about, you know, what you think about these books coming out. So I guess the, 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 the passenger is a story about a, a, a guy that does, uh, that dives for like, salvage from the ocean and he um goes down to you know investigate this sunken plane i think it's in the uh, gulf of mexico if i'm not mistaken i might be wrong about that um no i think you're right and uh he is his job is to go in there and you know find out investigate and kind of find out what happened and, re and recover whatever is in the plane and apparently like the black box and two of the passengers are missing and they don't know why. And then there's this whole backstory about his father and what his father did for a living and a sister that he lost that he had this like really close relationship with, maybe kind of a unnervingly close relationship with. And it's a story about this man and his 
the mystery of this sunken ship and his uh, tormented relationship with members of his family. And then Stella Maris is about, uh, I, I may be wrong on this, but it might be about the sister, but it's about a young woman who is yeah. a doctoral candidate in mathematics who in the, somewhere in the middle of the check, the 20th century checks herself into a psych, psychiatric hospital with a big bag of money. And it's a, a much shorter novel, apparently, about this individual character and her tortured past and her relationship with her brother, who I believe is the protagonist from The Passenger. Um, so those are the descriptions of the two books, unless I have some of the major details wrong. But, you know, I don't even know. Cormac McCarthy could be writing, you know, a treatise on like toilet paper, you know, and I would... <laughs> I would read it. I think there's intimations that both of the books have philosophical undertones and ask very um, pointed questions about the way we relate to one another and even about God and whether God exists and death and humanity. And all of those things are big themes in Cormac McCarthy novels uh, across many decades. And I cannot wait to read those books. That is the by far the biggest literary event of the year for me and the, the books I'm anticipating the most. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place, but what do you have to say about the forthcoming Cormac McCarthy novels? I mean, that's why we saved it for the end. This is, this is an absolutely huge event in publishing. If you ask any reader, unless you're just not a fan of Cormac McCarthy, but even then it's so rare that he comes out with a new book these days. As he said, he's well into his 80s. He's you know approaching 90 years old. The fact that he had two novels in him <laughs> when it seemed like maybe the road would be his last book, you know, is incredible. And then when you read the descriptions and how sort of like complex and intricate they sound, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, it's Cormac McCarthy. So if you if you do if you have read something by him and enjoyed it, you're certainly going to be interested in these. Um, also, you know, he's kind of, he's still pretty well known for, you know, writing about cowboys in the American West. This sounds like a different, uh, you know, different subject matter for him. You know, although he's also written about the American South because that's, you know, he's from Tennessee, I think. Or um, he lived there for a long time anyway. And he's written about the South earlier in his career. So it's not new ground from, you know, geographically. Um, but you know, it also sounds like some of it. So he's been living for the last couple decades of his life in, a, in some sort of scientific think tank or community where that's on that does a lot of scientific research and sort of on the cutting edge with stuff like that. So it sounds like there's some science that, you know, hard science that gets into these books that you have to imagine is the fruit of some of those discussions with scientists that he supposedly has been having over the last 20 years. There are just many, many. And as he mentioned, also his usual preoccupations with, you know, God and question, big questions of religion and, you know, belief. So uh, there's a lot of stuff in, that goes into this stew, plus the fact that it's been such a long time since we've heard from him. You know, there's no way that these aren't going to be really interesting books. You know, unless they're like, he's just, you know, like we were saying before about endings, maybe he's gotten too old and maybe he's just not coherent anymore. But it's Cormac McCarthy, you know, 
I think we're both willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there. And, you know, there's no way, there's certainly, you know, a ton of anticipation, sort of fascination about what these novels are going to be. So I'm, I'm hundred percent with you to me. They're the biggest releases of 2022 if they come out this year. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really fascinating. You know, there's, there's no question if this podcast is still going, we're, we'll be coming back to this material one way or another, you know, down the road because of our love for Cormac McCarthy. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. But, you know, I, I can't even, you know, uh, I can't even imagine what these books are going to look like, you know, or how, how big they're going to be, or, you know, it's just going to be really interesting to see. So I think that's a, that's a, probably a fitting note to end this discussion. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, if you want to know what they look like, you can just go on Amazon because they got plenty of <clears throat> pictures of them. They're being sort of published in a box set and all this business, but that's the, okay. the business side of it. And they, are very striking by the way they have very striking covers um but yeah i think the big question that, that you hit on it is like you know for such a major writer for so many decades and with such mystery around him what are these books going to be like you know and i think it is possible that they could be some kind of i don't want to say embarrassment you know I, I i highly doubt it but it's possible you know like writers have done that before you know, yep. come out with books after a long time and they weren't really up to their, and, and, and he's a very old man. It doesn't seem likely. And part of the whole fun of this and anticipation is finding out what these books are like and do they measure up to his incredible works from early, earlier in his career. So that remains to be seen. Yeah. You know, we'll ask Jeff Dyer after these books come out, whether he should have hung it up earlier. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, that, that's our roundup of books that we're really looking forward to uh, for the remainder of the year, 2022. There's a lot of great stuff coming out, as you've heard, and you probably uh, have your own titles that you're anticipating. So it's a cornucopia of, of reading, um, and that's what this show loves and is all about. So take one more break, and then we'll come back and kind of wrap things up. Cool. before we close out the show we typically talk about you know what what books we have on our proverbial on deck circle i am not going to discuss mine because it's a book that as we've mentioned in the show in the past jude and i often like to gift books to each other and if we see a title with, that we think might be a good gift for the other you know sometimes we'll check it out and read it and kind of do our homework and um I'm going to be reading a book that falls into that category. So I don't want to mention it here because I may be giving it to him as a gift somewhere down the line. 
So I, I apologize if that's a disappointment to our millions of listeners. But um, I'm going to pass it over to you, Jude. What do you have coming up on your on-deck circle? Well, I'm going to brace myself for a global drop in our listing numbers for people who are disappointed <laughs> that they don't know what you're going to move on to be reading next. You know, we'll yeah. try to recover from that. Well, it's interesting. I was not going to mention my title either, but I've changed my course on that. Although there is a reason I am reading it that I w will discuss with you off the air. Just kind of more of a private reason. Nothing too heavy. But I'm too excited about reading this book, and I want to know if you've heard of it. I can't remember if I even sent it to you. I think you might have heard of it, but I don't know. So this came up again, came out three or four, four or five years ago. And I really was interested in it. And I kind of kind of dropped off my radar, came back up again out of nowhere. And I found it at a library and I'm going to read it next. Um, and I didn't tell you about it. Uh, it is a, okay. It is a nonfiction graphic um, book. It's like a graphic novel. That's nonfiction. And the book is called CQ. Have you ever heard of this, John? Not so far from your description so far. Okay. I don't really, don't really know what it is. Okay, I'm 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 excited to read this, although I, I think I'm rolling the dice on it. I'm not sure what I'll make of it. The book is called CQ and then it has a subtitle called it's something like uh hold on a second. So is that is that the letter CQ or is it seek? Oh, I'm glad you're pointing that out. It's seek as in seeking some knowledge, S-E-E-K. Y-O-U. And okay. the subtitle is A Journey into American Loneliness. And it is a examination of the increasing isolation that people in the United States feel from one another, according to the person who wrote and illustrated this book. And her name is Kristen Radke, R-A-D-T-K-E. And she is, I guess, a person who writes nonfiction graphic books. She had one, and then she came out with this book called CQ. It got a ton of attention. It was on many big uh, top 10 lists of the year. And I don't really know much else about it. It's an, ex it's an examination of loneliness in uh, the United States. Um, oh, I want to correct myself. Sorry, it's not four or five years ago. It was published last year and had, um, I know that there's, the beginnings of the pandemic were part of this book. So I, I want to correct myself there. Okay. Um, anyway, I don't know anything else about it. I just don't know how you take on that subject at all, let alone the form of a graphic. I keep wanting to say graphic novel, but like illustrated right. format. And I'm just really fascinated by that idea. And I really want to check it out. My library had it and that's coming up for me next uh, to be continued. I have no idea what to expect from this book. So that's what I'm reading next. Yeah. I, I, I want to say I vaguely re recall the name, but I, I don't know anything about that book at all. So I'll be really interested to hear what the experience was of, of reading that book or, or, going through that book, whatever the right word is, because you read it, but you also sort of take it in visually. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that. Wow, that that sounds really. You know, I'm intrigued just by the description. So, I'll be I'll, as I said, I'll be very curious to hear, uh, you know, what that's like. So, that's a pretty cool one. And now, at the very end of the show, as we always do, we're going to do. We'd like to tease our next episode, episode fifty three. Drew, do you want to do the honors there? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we have a title for it. But um, we're going to take on another classic, very big topic in episode 53. Um, and, and it's one dancing around literally since the podcast began. And we've certainly had many, many, many conversations about this particular genre of literature, which is called science fiction. So in episode 53, we will be discussing, well, I'll, I'll set it up the way that John did to me off, offline, you know, we were talking about our approach to it and, and I agree with him. He said, like, if, you know, if somebody were to come up to us and say like, you know, what are the, what are like maybe the top three or top five sort of unmissable titles for you guys in the, in the genre of science fiction, that's what we're going to tackle in the next episode. Obviously there's so much history and ground to cover in this particular genre. And, and by the way, John and I are nerds to the core, but we're not, you know, we're not like, you know, uh, alien costume wearing nerds that show up at the, you know, Com -Con, Comic Con every year. So, you know, we may not be like the, the world experts in science fiction, but we certainly have read a ton between the two of us. And I know for a fact that we have many favorite science fiction books. So this will be a very easy one for us to take on, but it's going to be very hard to uh, obviously to encompass all that needs to be discussed, but it's going to be tons of fun. So take out your tinfoil. You know, tune in your radios or whatever, CVs, and uh, get ready for our next episode on science fiction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not. There's no. It's not going to be a history of the genre or anything like that. In fact, I wouldn't even say it's the genre I know the best. Um, I don't even know what that would be. But um, I, I, as you said, certainly I've read a bunch of science fiction. I know I have some favorites that some of which are very well known. Some may not be as well known. So. We're just going to be going through some of our favorites and maybe you'll pick up some titles that, that you hadn't heard of or, or had been meaning to check out. So that's what's up next, episode 53 in a couple of weeks. For now, thanks so much for listening to the Book Exchange podcast. As always, we really appreciate everybody who uh, downloads, streams, tunes in, and listens to us blather about books. So everyone take care. Jude, you do the same. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, John, great discussion. Thank you to everybody listening around the world. We will see you all the next time.